Okay, now I think we're ready. Let's begin again by praying together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. When we were your enemies, you sent him to earth, the God-man, to die for our sins. And he did that, and you judged all of our sins at the at the cross in his body as he bore them. And we thank you, Father, that after he was buried, you raised him from the dead on the third day, a miracle signifying to us that whoever believes in your son, Jesus Christ, is justified forever. You see them as righteous, even though we still commit sins. You see the end from the beginning. You see us in your son. And we ask this morning, Father, that the Holy Spirit would be guiding and directing each one of us and together as a body so that we can truly worship your word in understanding and in awe and in have open hearts to both be challenged and built up by your word this morning. Father, we want to especially also pray this morning for the Ruth and Peter Morrison. We just ask, Father, for your care upon them this morning and every morning. And we know that while we don't know exactly what they need, we know that you do. And we just pray that uh, as you ask us to do, to come to you and to ask for help and assistance for members of the body of Christ. We ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. A couple of announcements as we get started. Um, I want to briefly update you on Pastor Kingsley. He's had a uh, a heck of a time. He, of course, went to N Namibia, which is just north of South Africa. And if you've been um, tuned into the news at all, which isn't always a good idea, but at this point, there's a new variant of the COVID-19 virus. And, and apparently one of the places where it first showed up was in South Africa. And because Namibia is just north of that, um, they have also uh, basically quarantined people that are traveling from Namibia. And he was first quarantined in Kenya for a few days. And then he came back to Toronto because he lives in Canada. And he's there now. He's still quarantined in a hotel. There's not much food. But we would pray. I'd ask also for prayers for Kingsley this morning, Father, that, that you would deliver him from this sort of prison situation that he's in so he could be home with his family again. Also, another scheduling note, uh, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper next Sunday, December 12th, when... God willing, we will be able to gather face to face again. Um, I would just reinforce something that perhaps I haven't said in a while, but but uh, make sure that when you come, um, that you've thought through what kind of COVID protections you would like to have for yourself. I guess mainly I'm saying is, is if you if you if you want to, you think it's the best thing, you know, by all means, wear a mask. And to the extent we can, we'll uh, continue to social distance really hard in the uh, in our location right now. Um, but I do just want to make sure when we come back that we're um, all taking care of our health together. Um, also, this morning, I want to remind everybody that we once again this year are um, participating in Grace Bible Church Pakistan's Christmas Care Package Fundraiser. I believe I have a slide on that. Let me see. All right now, maybe I do that. One of the uh, challenges 
in our current situation is that I'm taking care of some technology now on my end. Those of you who know me know that's always an adventure. And so um, you would, um, let me see. Ah, here we go. Ah, okay, let me get to, there we go. This is what I want to show you. Again, every year, Grace Bible Church Pakistan sponsors a Christmas care package fundraiser. This year, they are, as usual, um, going to put together student uniform packages for the many students that they minister to. Um, but this year also, because of their food situation, um, they're also putting together what they're calling family rations, which is food for families as well. So you see on the slide that if you'd like to participate, um, a student uniform gift is $15, while a family ration gift is $30. Um, we are taking, um, we're gonna, we can, we will take gifts and bundle them and send them there. So you can, and, and we encourage you actually to send your gift to Lighthouse Bible Church. Just indicate that it's for the Pakistan Christmas. So that way we'll know that that's your intention. The deadline this year is later than usual, and it's the end of the year, December 31st. So again, it's the Christmas care package for Pakistan, the student uniforms, family rations. And so you can send your gift to Lighthouse Bible Church indicating that it's for the Pakistan Christmas. And the deadline is December 31st. Just as a reminder also, um, you, when, you, when you give uh, to this or to Lighthouse Bible Church, um, one of the ways you can do that is to go onto our website, which is at the top there, lbible.org slash donations. You can also go to lbible.org and you can see that there's a button to donate. Um, you can see that down below, too, in the little picture I gave you. Also, um, you can always mail it, and that's our mailing address as well on that slide. Um, so, again, I want to thank you ahead of time for those of you that um, have been uh, inspired to give this year. Um, they, uh, That ministry, of course, is uh, is always in a, in a difficult situation, not only because of their resources, but because of the Muslim country that they're in and the uh, persecution that that brings about in many forms, including economic as well as safety. So we ask also that you continue to keep them in your prayers. Okay, let me go back now and make sure that you know the title of today's message. The title of today's message comes from the prophet Jeremiah, and it is this, I will raise up for David a righteous branch. I will raise up for David a righteous branch. We'll see what that's all about later on this morning. Um, as you know, though, uh, we are studying the subject of, <clears throat> excuse me, messianic prophecy in, in the Bible. And we've seen already that while the prophecies are primarily in the Old Testament, that as a matter of fact, the entire Bible is messianic. We saw in Genesis it started with the promises to Abraham. And then we're looking now at the promises to David called the Davidic covenant. And then, it, but it continues. Uh, the, the prophecies continue throughout all of the Old Testament prophets from Isaiah all the way to Malachi. And one of the things we're going to see is that it's progressive, meaning that the first time 
there's a uh, a revelation, a prophecy uh, about, let's say, about David's um, ans- uh, uh, descendant who will be the king, um, on, ruling from Jerusalem. Well, the first time we get a hint of that in the book of Genesis, it's very, very general in nature, no specifics. As we move through and we see the actual covenant that's given to David in 2 Samuel, then we start to see some specifics. But still, they're rather they're rather general in nature. A house, meaning his, he will have a dynasty and there will be a kingdom and a throne. As we continue going through the Old Testament and we hit the prophets, as well as the Psalms, but this morning we're going to focus on the prophets, we start to see the prophets adding more detail, expanding on what's already been given, and that will continue all the way through in the Old Testament to the book of Malachi. Then we get to the New Testament. And when we get there, we're going to see that actually the Messianic prophecy continues. The Messianic, now it's not just prophecy, but it's also fulfillment. That there's fulfillment of prophecies in the New Testament, historic books, meaning the Gospels and the book of Acts. But then there's other information that is presented on what is still future, even today, concerning the Messiah. And so it continues, and it will continue, and and that's documented all the way through the New Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation, where, while that's not a historic book, it's still a prophetic book, we get the final details about what is going to happen when the Messiah returns. So from start to finish, the Bible is messianic. It starts the story of the prophecies concerning the Messiah. That's, of course, remember we saw that word in the Hebrew. It means the anointed one, the anointed one. We saw, by the way, that in the Old Testament, the anointed one, the anointing that came upon both the kings and the high priests. We're going to see how significant that is in a couple of weeks when we when we finish our look at the Davidic covenant meaning the king promises, and we're going to look that there are also priest promises, and we're going to see that those merge. We're going to merge. That's the other thing about Messianic prophecy. You have these, these things introduced, king, prophet, or as we're seeing on Thursday evenings in our study of Isaiah, servant, suffering servant. And, and then they're, they're brought along as, as separate lines, if it were, but those lines start to converge so that what would look like two separate people, king, suffering, servant, when you first come upon them in the in the Bible, as things progress, you start to see those two lines coming together. And by the way, they will they will meet when the Messiah actually comes on the scene. And of course, there's there's two comings, as we now know, of the Messiah. Okay, so, and by the way, in his first coming, it's more the more focused, as you know, on the suffering servant part. The second coming, the focus will be on his kingship. So again, from start to finish, the Bible is messianic. The story of the Messiah runs from Genesis through Revelation, and see, and, and see, we know that is true. We we we've seen, you know, as a ministry, how every book of the Bible does speak about Christ. But the thing that I want you to focus on this time around 
is is also that there's a story and that it's progressive and that see what some of the what, the what the major elements of that are and how they also follow we can follow them through so that it is not just um separate mentions of things that are pointing to Christ but they that they that they form a pattern that they form a storyline and that's really what I want you to get as we go through this series this time okay so let's continue now Mention the Davidic covenant. This is what we're studying right now. We've been, we saw our last time um, about the Davidic covenant, and, and we'll go into some of the review because it's been, I think, three weeks since we've been on this subject. So I will <clears throat> spend a little more time than usual just reviewing to catch us up, get us back in, up to speed on things. But the Davidic covenant, when we say that, it's a set of promises that the Lord made to King David. A set of promises that the Lord made to King David. King David was the greatest king in the Old Testament. But one of his descendants will be far greater even than David in terms of his kingship. And and the Lord promised David that the Lord would raise up a descendant of his and that the Lord would establish the throne of his kingdom, his descendants kingdom forever. And that's what I mean about a much greater king. Uh, As we're going to see this morning, it's not just the forever part. It's also the, the, what's, what's the universal in terms of the whole world. Now, now that, by the way, is not revealed to David. And this is an example of what I mean about it being progressive. That's revealed later. The prophets reveal the fact that the kingdom will be worldwide. But remember the promises again. There's three elements to it. We study these in detail. They're in 2 Samuel 7, 12. To 16, which we won't go to this morning because I want to keep moving. But the Lord promised David that his house and his kingdom, house means his dynasty, his descendants, his house and his kingdom. The kingdom is, is, is uh, a geographic and demographic. In other words, it's, it's a land and a people and that that kingdom of his will endure. Now, it'll. we already saw that that kingdom has some really rough patches we're going to see that this morning again that that the word endure doesn't mean thrive doesn't really mean that at any point in time it's even in in function but it means that ultimately that kingdom will endure and then the third thing was that david's throne which is the right to rule will be established forever a house a kingdom and a throne and as we move through the rest of the Old Testament and into the New, these things become more and more defined, more and more clear, specific. And, and it's true of his house and his descendants. Sorry, at this point, it's just a general statement. You're going to have a descendant. But as we move through the Old Testament, and especially when we get to the New Testament, now it becomes really specific until the point where in the Gospels we find out who this person is with a specific name, Jesus Christ. The kingdom, again, gets more defined. You know, David understood his kingdom in terms of the people and the, in the, in the land that he ruled. But as we move through the prophets, we see that that kingdom is actually bigger than David could ever imagine um, because it's going to consist of all the nations of the world. Okay, so a house, a kingdom, and a throne. 
Now, the prophecies, this is the point I want to add this morning. The prophecies about the promised king are progressive. They begin as a general sketch. And we saw that even in the book of Genesis, you know, Abraham was told that in him, in his seed, his descendant, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Very general statement. We saw that the that at a certain point it was revealed also in the book of Genesis that of the 12 sons of Jacob, the tw- who become the 12 tribes, there would be one tribe um, who, who would bring about this king, this Messiah. And that would be the tribe of Judah. So you get a little more specific there. Then when we get to David, we find that even within the tribe of Judah, it would be this one particular um, family, David's family, that would bring on the Messiah. So you get more specific. The prophecies about the promised king will continue this way, more and more progressive, meaning things are added. As time passes, the prophecies become more detailed and specific. Okay, last time we took a look at how the story of the Lord's covenant to David progresses. How does it how is it laid out in the Bible? And we saw that there are five major stages that it goes through. And these are progressive. This morning, I'm going to give them to you again, okay, by way of review, but also by focusing on the idea of, the, of progressive revelation, how more and more is revealed as you move from Genesis through the, through the through Second Samuel, through the Psalms and the Prophets, and you finally get to the New Testament. Now, here are the five major stages. And by the way, this is true not only of the Davidic covenant, um, but also of the other lines that are provided in the Old Testament about the Messiah. But we're focused now on this one, the kingship, the, the, the Davidic covenant. David is the king, promises about the descendant who will be a king. The first one is that the covenant is anticipated. That just means that before the Lord, through the prophet Samuel, came to prophet Nathan, actually, came to David with a specific, you're going to have a house and a kingdom and a throne. It's anticipated. So from Genesis all the way to that point in Second Samuel, remember, we saw information before the covenant was even given. That's what we mean about anticipated. I mentioned some of that this morning. Prophets promises to Abraham, for example. So that's number one. It's anticipated, that covenant. Number two is it's established. The Lord actually established the covenant. In other words, made the promises to David. That again is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. It's also in, in, in um, First Chronicles. It's established, meaning the Lord said, these are the promises, David, that I'm giving to you. There's still promises. So even though this is established, it's not it's not fulfilled. It won't be fulfilled until much later. But right now we have it's anticipated. Number one, established. Number two, promises actually pronounced by the Lord to David in this case. Then we move on to the third stage. This is the stage that we're going to be studying this morning. So pay attention to this. Now, the covenant, after it's been anticipated ahead of time and established, then it's confirmed. What does that mean? It means that that going forward from the time at which David heard these promises, they were about his nation. And as the nation goes, basically, 
downward as as the apostasy gets greater to the point where first that northern kingdom i mean the very fact that they then split after the reign of solomon that's that's a that's not what you know the, the lord had designed it for and so you have this 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 point at which the, the the fate of the nation becomes more and more dire more and more apostasy to the point at which the lord has to intervene and provide his discipline in the form of exile first the northern kingdom actually wiped wiped out goes out of existence southern kingdom of judah eventually will be taken in exile to babylon but the lord never forgets about his people and he brings back to remind them the promises he does it in the psalmists you saw that last time and but especially in the prophets at various points when the people had were at their low point, the nation of Israel, the people at their low point, hope almost extinguished. The Lord brings a man on the scene, reminds them, restates, reconfirms the fact that the Lord made an unconditional, no conditions on this, promises, covenant to David that he will fulfill. And since those promises do have to do first and foremost with with Judah and Israel and Jerusalem in particular. These were promises that would that, that would give hope to these people at their lowest, darkest moments. And that's what the Lord did. Um, we're going to see Jeremiah this morning. If you if you study Jeremiah, you know that when he prophesied that things were really getting dark, you know, his prophecy, his time of ministry um ends with the with with the nation going with the Judah, the southern kingdom, going into exile. And yet he has these great statements about David's descendant and about the uh, not only will, has, will the Lord fulfill the promises to David, but he expands on them. And so that's why I say the covenant is not only confirmed in this third stage, but it's expanded. In other words, more things added to it. Okay. That's the third stage, a very important stage. It, it, it takes um, generations, you know, into account. Um, in fact, there's more generations. We saw this after the covenant um, is, is, is established than before. OK, so that's stage three. Covenant, again, let me review at the middle here. Covenant is anticipated. Covenant is established. Covenant is confirmed and expanded. Now, up until here, the covenant has not been fulfilled. In other words, when Malachi, who's the last Old Testament prophet, he's still talking about the Messiah in the future. And so and then after after Malachi, there'll be 400 years when there'll be no prophets at all. And then that and that that then that is interrupted with the appearance of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But what they didn't understand was that there would be two fulfillments. Again, the covenant, the promises to David, a house, you know, a dynasty, a kingdom, and a throne. This person, this king, when he comes the first time, he arrives. He is presenting himself as the king of Israel. And yet the people reject him. Reject him completely. 
to the point where they actually turn him over to the to the Roman authorities and ask to have him crucified. That's what they did to their king the first time he came. Now you can see there that 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 didn't work out the way that for, you know people looking at the Davidic covenant would have expected. They would have expected that the king would come on the scene and that he would be given a kingdom and a throne and that he would rule forever. I mean, that's what the Davidic covenant said. But here we have something very different. And that is why you have to look at the full picture of the Old Testament, all the things that are said about the Messiah beyond just the king. And and while we're not going to look at this right now, you can come with us any Thursday evening, starting at 6.30, with our Bible study series on Isaiah, and you will learn about another thread, another part of the story, namely the servant of the Lord, who would then suffer and die for the sins of the world, and that's so clearly laid out, particularly in Isaiah um, 52 and 53. That's a very different line, as it were, from the kingship. And as it turns out, that, that, that the first time he comes, he, he fulfills the things that Isaiah said about this servant. So there's two fulfillments. There's part one when the Messiah arrives but is rejected. And that means there has to be a part two. Because if there were a part two, then the promises to David really wouldn't have been fulfilled. And so there's another fulfillment. It still hasn't happened. It will happen in the future. That's why we have to understand that the New Testament is also prophetic prophecy, prophesying about the Messiah, because there are things that won't be fulfilled until he comes back. When the Messiah returns, he will then reign forever. He will then be the descendant of David. So a member of David's house. Okay, he he will have the kingdom and that kingdom will be worldwide as as the prophets are going to show us. And he will rule from that throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years. That hasn't happened yet. So there's five stages. Covenants anticipated, established, confirmed and expanded, fulfilled part one, fulfilled part two. Five stages. Now, I gave you this illustration last time. I'd like to give it to you again this morning just so you can see the forward progress that, the, that this goes through. You go from Abraham. Oops, let me go back. Okay, you go from Abraham, okay, anticipated promises to, da- to Abraham, re- re- predate promises to David, but then the Lord comes on the scene and makes the covenant with David, and then he confirms the covenant, and by the way, that that period of the prophets brings them into captivity where they really needed those promises to be confirmed. And then you move to the times of Jesus Christ, the fulfillments, two fulfillments, the first time and the second time. OK. So those of you that are like pictures, like to see things illustrated, there's another way of looking at these five stages. OK. First three stages, Old Testament. 
anticipated Abraham, established David, confirmed and expanded the prophets and the Psalms. The, the final two stages, New Testament. Right, the covenant fulfilled. The covenant is fulfilled in the pages of the New Testament. Part one was actually fulfilled, and the Gospels are a record, and the book of Acts are a record of how that covenant was fulfilled in terms of Jesus as the, as the servant of the Lord. And then, of course, the final stage hasn't happened yet, but it's documented um, in a prophetic form as the second coming and 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 that prophecy is contained in the gospels jesus christ himself after he after um it's clear that the kingdom will not come about that the that the nation has rejected him he then gives these prophecies of another coming in in the gospel particularly the gospels of matthew and luke but we see it again in the book of acts where Peter, for example, talks about it. Paul talks about it. Um, Paul talks about it later on in in uh, First and Second Thessalonians, where he talks about a special coming just for the church. And then, then you also, as as you move through, you get more and more prophecies again about his second coming. And then Revelation, it actually it shows the second coming of Christ and all the things that lead up to it. Mostly, what we call the tribulation. Okay, so now we've seen the first two stages already. We saw the covenant anticipated with Abraham, and um, we saw it established in Second Samuel. Last time, we began looking at the third stage. That covenant is confirmed. Now, it's important to understand that it, there's really two places, two kinds of revelation that confirm and expand on this covenant to David. The first one is in the Psalms. Now we looked at a representative of the Psalms, what we call Messianic Psalms, last time. That happened to be Psalm 89. If uh, if you weren't with us, I strongly recommend that you do go back to that message because we went through Psalm 89 in a lot of detail so we could see the progression that it describes. And how it did confirm, it did restate the promises that the Lord made to David. And then the second um, way in which the Lord confirmed the, the promises to the nation was through the prophets. So we looked last time at the Psalms. This time we turn to the prophets. The prophets also confirm the Davidic covenant, meaning they restate it. They remind the, the people about the covenant, but then they expand on it. And we're going to see that this morning. We're going to see how the prophets on the one hand do restate the covenant. They confirm it. Yes, this was still going to happen. God hasn't forgotten about his people. God made these promises with no strings attached. He will fulfill them. That's, the, that's confirming the covenant. And then they also expand on it. And here's something else about those promises. Here's here's some more information about the kingdom, more information about the king, more information about his throne. Now, that needed to happen because the people of Judah, now the southern kingdom, the, the northern kingdom is one thing, but the southern kingdom is where the, the throne of David uh, continued. 
Okay, continued in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. Well, those people sunk into the mire, into, into apostasy again and again and turning away and rebelling against the Lord, turning to, turning to the foreign pagan nations for assistance rather than the Lord. This happened again and again. And, but time and time again, the Lord would still send a prophet and remind them, yes, you are in a terrible situation. Yes, I am going to bring discipline upon you. But let me remind you again about the promises I made to David. I will still fulfill them. And that he does, he does, he does that through the prophets. Well, this morning we're going to begin with the prophet Isaiah. Now, prophet Isaiah, again, is uh, it, it, we're looking at on Thursday evenings. Now, because of that, and oh, by the way, Thursday evenings are a vital part of the teaching ministry that we have. So I know there it's not as uh, as well attended as Sunday, but that's a mistake because, you know, you're going to see this morning that I'm going to briefly talk about Isaiah because there's so much that we we have in the Thursday evening Bible studies. So that's another, you know, commercial to have you come with us and be with us on Thursdays in any event. The fact is that Isaiah has more to say about the coming Messiah than any other prophet in the Old Testament. Why? Because he not only talks about the promises to David in terms of the king, he also talks about the servant of the Lord. All right. And and, and that is uh, where we see most clearly what happened the first time Jesus came. So Isaiah evangelist. Evangelists talking about the suffering and death of the Lord, as well as um, his kingship and the glories to follow. All right. So this morning, though, we're going to just simply look at one passage. I'm going to have you turn there now. I'd like you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, and we're going to look at two verses, verses 6 and 7. Now, those those of us who have been studying Isaiah, you know that the, that the first 39 chapters are primarily about the Lord's judgment. Primarily judgment on the nations, the Gentile nations, judgment on Judah and, and Israel. During the time period in which Isaiah prophesied, the, the, the nation of Israel, the, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, we're constantly under the threat of annihilation from the Assyrian Empire. And that was the context. And so in the midst of, of mostly documentation about coming judgments, you get these bursts of hopefulness, of promises that may, were made of being reminded of them. Again, the people need that. No, the, the, the Lord, his strange work, he called it was having to discipline his own people, with having to bring um, foreign armies to wipe out his people, conquer them. You know, I mean, his his preferred way of, 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 of dealing with his people was to do the opposite, was to, in fact, by miracles and other ways, have the people of Israel, the military, be, be victorious. And yet, because he had to discipline his people, he had to instead bring our armies in and, and, and wipe them out just and, and bring them into, into captivity. Yet he never stopped loving them. He, he wanted always them to see that he's merciful, that he's gracious, 
that he's not going to forget his promises to David and Abraham. And so that you have these reminders. And we have one right here in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. With Christmas right upon us now, this is going to look like a passage that you recognize from Christmas time. Many of us, most of us, we sing, we sing Christmas carols that include this information. And it's a, it's a fantastic, fantastic reminder of the Davidic covenant, the promises to David. Let's read it together. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders. This child will will become the king, the son given to the nation of Israel. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David, here's the here it is. This is the reminder about the promises to David. Notice on the throne of David, a descendant, okay, the house, a throne, throne of David over his kingdom. There you have it. The Davidic covenant is recited, is remi- is restated here in Isaiah chapter nine verse seven. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Again, from verse seven, we know that Isaiah is speaking here about the Davidic covenant. There will be a child who will one day rule on the throne of David and over his kingdom. But look at verse six. It's an amazing thing. Verse six in the second part where it starts and his name. Now, I need to tell you something about names in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, names describe the person's character and their identity. Joshua means the one who delivers. By the way, it's the same um, Hebrew word as Yeshua. Right? Jesus is the great deliverer, the savior. That's an example. Jacob, the swindler, that's what his name originally meant. Then he was turned, he had a new name, Israel, the prince with God. Names in the Old Testament frequently describe the person's character and identity, character and identity. With that in mind, let us look at the names that are given here in Isaiah 9, 6 to this child who will be born, this son who will be given, who will be the the king, his, the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Mighty God. Now remember, this is a child born. So it says, child will be born human, and yet his name will be called Mighty God, Divine. In other words, this descendant of David will be the God-man. This was something that wasn't revealed to David. It's revealed later in the prophet Isaiah. Mighty God, eternal father. It's incredible revelation. It's Isaiah here who reveals that this son of David will be divine. He will be God. 
as well as human. He, he has existed from eternity. Now, again, this is a contradiction in, in the minds of somebody who is um, thinking about things from a human viewpoint. How can somebody be born and exist from eternity? You see, well, the answer is in the name. You see, he will be mighty God and eternal father, as well as a child born. He will be divine as well as human. He's God and he's human. This was revealed in the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Jesus Christ was born. So don't anyone ever tell you that the, that the fact that the Messiah would be God as well as man wasn't revealed until Jesus came. It was revealed here. All right. And other places, by the way, um, in the Old Testament. Speaking of other places, I want to talk a little bit about the prophet Micah now. Micah, by the way, was a contemporary of Isaiah. They, they prophesied it about the same times. Um, Isaiah prophesied to the royals. He prophesied to the court in Jerusalem. Okay, the king and the king's deputies and the people that were ruling. Okay, Isaiah did. Micah, on the other hand, he spoke to the common people in Judah. And Michael also, Micah, Michael, Micah also says that the son of David existed from eternity, from eternity. I can turn to Micah chapter five, verse two, Micah chapter five, verse two. Micah, just like Isaiah. Now, because Isaiah spoke to the to the to the throne, to the to the court in Jerusalem. Micah is talking to the common people outside of Jerusalem in, in Judah. By the way, they're the ones that bore the brunt of the attacks from Assyria because, you know, Jerusalem was a walled city and the Lord protected Jerusalem. But the Assyrians came and they ran roughshod over the other parts of Judah, by the way. And so Micah was talking to the common people. And he again, he's also going to say that this son of David existed from eternity He's going to add something as well concerning this coming Messiah. So look out for it. Micah chapter five, starting in verse two. Again, a verse, a passage that comes up a lot during the Christmas season. But as for you, <coughs> Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me to be ruler in Israel. By the way, Bethlehem was the city of David. When, when Jesus was born and Herod heard about, hey, there's one born king of the Jews. And Herod thought he was the king of the Jews. And this was when the, when the Magi from the east showed up in Jerusalem. And so Herod was very distressed and he wanted to find out where he asked the, the Magi where, and they wouldn't tell him. So he went to his own scribes and so forth, and they told him. Well, you know, Micah 5, 2 says it will be in Bethlehem. But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth from me, the Lord, to be a ruler in Israel. His goings forth, notice, are from long ago, from the days of eternity. This, this, this human who will be ruler in Israel, is his goings forth are from 
long ago, from the days of eternity. He is eternal in nature. He's God. Verse three, therefore, he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. That, of course, is Mary. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. By the way, we have a we have a fascinating thing in verse three. I want to just point this out in passing, but we'll see it again and again. And that is that prophecy in the Old Testament often has what we call a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Now, we talk about this as in terms of the covenant, right? The first part of the covenant being fulfilled, the second part, because here we have the woman, Mary, in labor has born a child. Now, that's history. That happened the first time that Jesus came in the Gospel of Luke, for example. The second part is not going to happen until the Lord returns when he gathers all of the all of the uh, lost of the 12 tribes of Israel, gathers them together again. Then the remainder, by the way, that's the remnant, right? Those who remain of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel. Verse four, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. We see three things here. All right. One, where he's going to be born, Bethlehem. Two, a repetition of Isaiah, eternity, who he is. But then three, we have the realm, the kingdom. And now here in Micah, he reveals that this one, this king, this descendant of David, will be great to the ends of the earth. His kingdom will be a worldwide, worldwide kingdom. This is, again, not revealed to to, uh, to David, revealed later by the prophet Micah. Because why? Because the, the information about the Davidic covenant is progressive. Things are added as, as you move forward in the story, as you go from from Second Samuel to the to the Psalms to the prophets, things progress in terms of what we know about this descendant of David. So we know that that, that Bethlehem is the city of David. This is a descendant of David. He will go forth to be ruler. And then we see in verse four, he will be great to the ends of the earth, and that means that his kingdom. The promise made to David, you will have a kingdom that will never end. But now we find out that that kingdom will include all the nations of the earth. And that's that's something beyond what was revealed to David. And not only does Micah talk about the fact that he's from eternity, he's from eternity and born in Bethlehem. There it is, the God-man again. And but not only that, but his kingdom will include all the nations of the earth. That's an expansion upon what was shown to David. All right. Zechariah revealed the same thing. Now, Zechariah came generations later. And Zechariah is what's called a post-exile prophet, meaning he prophesied after the nation of Judah, the king of Judah had gone into exile in Babylon and then came back. Okay, so, so Zechariah is hundreds of years later, at least 200 years later than Isaiah and Micah. All right, just so you know the time frame. In any event, look what he has to say. Look at Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Zechariah 9, 9. 
And again, this is again um, information that that we see and talk about actually during not only the Christmas season, but also at the time of, of where we celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Okay, this is going to talk about him coming to Jerusalem. Okay. And we're going to see the same thing we saw in Micah. We're going to see part one, his first coming, and then part two. So look look for that. Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king, Davidic covenant, is coming to you. He is just and endowed with what? Salvation. Salvation. He is coming and he's bringing salvation with him. See how this is an expansion as well? See, so we'll see that in a minute. But but here we, we find out something else about this descendant of David. That he is he's just, which we knew, but he's endowed with salvation. And then we go on, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, of course, we know this was fulfilled when Jesus came and presented himself in Jerusalem, he rode in on a donkey. This was fulfilled in the Gospels 2,000 years ago. Your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The first time he came, he came to be the savior, to die on the cross for the sins of the world and be raised from the dead. Then look at verse 10. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. In other words, the chariot will no longer be attacking Ephraim. That's another name. We saw We saw that in, the, in our study on Isaiah as well. Ephraim is another name for the northern kingdom. And, and so the northern kingdom, which by the time Zechariah prophesied, didn't exist. Okay, there will be a time when it will come back. Not only that, but they will have no more concern about ever being attacked again than the horse from Jerusalem, because that's the southern kingdom. He's saying all of the 12 tribes I'm talking to now, 12 tribes aren't united today, even today. They will be when Christ comes back. And the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off. See, no more war. He will speak peace. Notice who he will speak to, though, to the nations. Not just to Jerusalem, not just to Ephraim. He will speak peace to the nations. He will establish peace throughout the world. And then, and then that, that is emphasized. And his dominion, his kingdom will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. His kingdom, his dominion will be from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. The river here is the river Euphrates. But notice the ends of the earth. His dominion will be worldwide. He will have a worldwide kingdom, all the nations. So Zechariah expands the prophecy even more. He says that the king is endowed with salvation. Now that salvation will be both material, the part that the that the that the people contemporaries of Jesus understood, they were looking for a great deliverer from military occupation, as I call material. But even more importantly, this salvation that he comes and is endowed with is spiritual deliverance from their sins. So you have deliverance from their enemies, from the 
chariots and the horses and the bows of war. That's 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 material, material, the military capabilities that the enemies of Israel and Judah had. But also more way more importantly, that salvation will be salvation from their sins, from their sins. In other words, this king, this descendant of David will also be the savior. Now, Zechariah was one of the last prophets in the Old Testament. He's not only that. In the Bible, in how the Bible is ordered, um, but he's also he's also one of the last prophets to come on the scene. All right. So what's happening here is that remember I said how you have these lines, you have servant going through, and you have king going through. Well, by the time you get to this later prophet, you see the lines coming together. You see that he's the savior. That's the servant of Isaiah, and he's the king. His dominion will be from sea to sea. And the river to the ends of the earth. A lot of people want to say, well, I don't see how the servant and the king are the same person. Well, all you got to do is look at the prophet Zechariah, and that's that will be crystal clear. This king, this descendant of David, will also be the savior. Okay, we're going to look at another prophet now. This is our day to do it. We're going to talk about Hosea. I can turn to Hosea chapter 3, verse 3. Hosea chapter 3, verse 3. Hosea prophesied to the northern kingdom. So you have Judah and Micah, southern kingdom. Okay. Hosea, northern kingdom. Okay. What did he say? Hosea sent as a prophet to the northern kingdom when it was still in existence. He was given to reveal something else, something else in addition to what we've seen already. Um, from from Isaiah, from from uh, Micah, from uh, from Zechariah, something else. He reveals something else about the future kingdom of David's descendant. Look at Hosea chapter three, verse starting in verse four. Hosea three four. For the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince. Without king or prince. That's something different. Because if if you would just look at what the Lord promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 16, he said that his kingdom would endure forever. And yet here we have a we have a jarring statement that says that the sons of Israel will remain for many days without king or prince. This is something else. Now, we know today that to be the fact, right, because we've seen it in the Bible. We've seen how in in the historic books of the Bible, we see how the northern kingdom was wiped out. We also see how Judah, who had the southern kingdom and had the throne of David, they went into exile. And from that time forward, there has never been a king seated on David's throne. We know that. But at the time Hosea wrote, they didn't know that. This was new information about that, that would have had to modify their understanding of the, the promises made to David. Without sacrifice, without sacrifice. Again, the, 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 this is the priesthood. There won't be priests uh, giving sacrifices in the temple. It's going to be it's going to be not happening anymore without sacrifice or sacred pillar or without ephod or household or idols. 
And that was the problem, by the way. And afterward, the sons of Israel, afterward, notice that word, afterward, there would be something in the future, in the far future. The sons of Israel will return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And notice how the Lord and David are linked here. And notice how he's talking about the future afterward. And yet he's talking about David. Now, David had been dead for a long time when Hosea was prophesying, about 300 years, as a matter of fact. And yet he's saying that Israel will return and seek both the Lord and David their king. That can only be the Messiah. And they will come trembling to the Lord and to his goodness, notice, in the last days. Now, the sons of Israel will be deprived of their king for, quote, many days, many days. Now, at the time that Hosea wrote, the nation of Israel had no idea how long that would be. They didn't know at all how they knew there would be the last days. They knew it would be the, the, the consummation of human history. The Lord would judge all the people. They knew all that. And and the fact that he talked about many days, they did know that this could be a, a long period of time, but they had no idea how long. See, we know today, this is what we know today, Israel has been without a king now for over 2,500 years. So you could say that many days is a big understatement. Many days, many years, okay? But as we know to the Lord, a thousand years is but a day, and a day is a thousand years. So, long time, 2,500 years, many days, in the last days. This was something that David, uh, the Lord didn't reveal to David when he established his covenant with David. He reveals it later to Hosea, to the prophet of the northern kingdom. That's significant. He did it at a time when that kingdom would very soon perish from the face of the earth. Okay, as we close today, we're going to head south, back to Judah. From the time of Hosea, we're going to fast forward over 100 years to the days that lead up to the exile of Judah to Babylon. And that means that we will turn now to the weeping prophet, Jeremiah. For more than 40 years, let me tell you about Jeremiah. For more than 40 years, Jeremiah warned Judah the southern kingdom, about the judgment that the Lord was about to unleash on them. They were apostate as well, perhaps not as bad as the northern kingdom yet, but they were as apostate at this point in time. And and it was Jeremiah's job, that's why he's the weeping prophet, to let them know that the judgment was coming. And yet, even here, even at the... <coughs> The years that run right up to the, the exile of the kingdom of Judah, the Lord still has kindness and mercy and love for his people. And it shines through in the book of Jeremiah. In large part, Jeremiah is a very sad book talking about how, how, how Judah is going to be judged and so forth. But even here, the Lord comes and he wants Jeremiah to do something. The Lord instructed Jeremiah Remind the people of Judah, remind them about my sure promises to David. He would one day establish a new covenant as well. This is something, again, new, okay? This was something not revealed to David either, that there would be a new covenant. See, at the time of David, there had been really two, three, I'm sorry, three. No, two, I'm right. Before David, there had been two. 
In other words, promises to Abraham, and then what's called the Mosaic Covenant, the law. David has a third covenant given to him by the Lord. But he didn't know there'd be another one called the New Covenant. That's revealed by the prophet Jeremiah. By the way, that will also be fulfilled by the Messiah. New Covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. This would be a gracious covenant. It would replace the Mosaic covenant, which they broke. I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 23 as we close today. Jeremiah 23. You see, the Lord is going to discipline his people. He is going to bring great disaster on his people. And yet, he is also, and he promises, going to bring upon them afterward all the good that he has said he would from Abraham to David. And, and even in the Mosaic Covenant, in the book of Deuteronomy, he told them that after this, that he would bless them again. So in Jeremiah 23, we see that Jeremiah also confirms the Davidic covenant, the promises to David. Look at Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming. It's going to happen in the future still, but it's going to happen, declares the Lord. When I will raise up for David, there you go. David is brought again to the memories of the people. Jeremiah says, I'm going to remind you in the midst of all this apostasy, in the midst of me having to say over and over again that discipline is coming from the Lord. I'm going to remind you that that the Lord will raise up for David, for David's sake a righteous branch, and he will reign as king. Notice this branch is the Messiah. He will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will dwell securely. And this is, notice again, you have Judah and Israel. Israel doesn't exist when Jeremiah gives this prophecy. And there was no possible way that naturally speaking they ever could we don't even know where these 10 tribes are how can israel dwell securely by the way israel and judah have not been have not dwelt securely at any time since jeremiah prophesied securely no way i mean if you know the history uh, in the about the nation of judah and it, well, israel's gone at this point you know they would they would be conquered again and again by other empires right um, for example, the Roman Empire. Right? And after that, they would be wiped out again. Jerusalem wiped out. People sent to all, all the nations, dispersed. And that's still where we are today. There's still no king of it, it ruling uh, the nation of Israel from, from Jerusalem. And yet there will be a day when Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And notice this. This is the name by which he, who, the righteous branch, the descendant of David, the Messiah, he will be called, again, the name, what name? The Lord, our righteousness. He will be called the Lord. Now, this is also something new. He will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, I want to mention this, the righteous branch, as we've seen, is the Messiah. And I want to tell you something. This is a really important image, name, for the Messianic prophecy, all right? We won't cover that cover that now, but that's also a great study. The Lord will raise up for David a king, a descendant who will reign as king and deliver Judah and Israel. 
restating the Davidic covenant here, but he goes on to reveal the name by which this one will be called. What is the name? The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. This one will be called the Lord and he will be our righteousness. Now, that's that's interesting because, you know, in the, in the Old Testament, when the Lord dealt with the nation, he was always saying, you know, I want you to be righteous. But, of course, they never could be. I mean, this is the tragedy of the Old Testament. The people never could live up to the Mosaic law. They were never righteous. And yet this one, this king, will be the Lord and he will be our righteousness. Since we don't have it, he'll, he, we point to him. He has it. And therefore, we have it. You see it? The Lord, our righteousness. This king is the Lord and a descendant of David, the God-man. Here we have that again. Don't let anybody ever tell you that what we call the hypostatic union, which is a fancy way of saying the God-man, was never revealed in the Old Testament. It certainly was in the prophets. The Lord and the descendant of David. And he will be called our righteousness. Now, Jeremiah might not have seen this, but that word our transfers beyond, beyond the nation of Israel to the whole world. Right? He is the righteousness of everybody who believes in him. Why? Because we're just like Israel. There's none righteous. We don't have our own righteousness either. When we're born, we're born dead in our sins and trespasses. We're the enemies of God. Right? And yet for us too. We're not righteous of ourselves, not even one. We don't have any of our own righteousness. So therefore, we also need to have God's righteousness credited to us. But how? This is where we're going to end. This is how. Please turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 21. Romans 3, 21. We'll have to end here. We're just like the nation of Judah, the nation of Israel. There's not one righteous, not even one. We don't have any. We need to receive it. We need to have God's righteousness credited to us. And here's how. Romans 3.21. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, his very own righteousness, has been manifested, shown, revealed, being witnessed. This is where we've seen today by the law and the prophets. We just saw it here in the prophecy of Jeremiah. Even the righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ, that's the Messiah for all those who believe, all of those who believe. There's no distinction. In other words, there's no distinction between Jew and Gentile. All who believe have the righteousness of God credited to them. There's no distinction for all have sinned, not just Israel, not just Jerusalem, not just Judah, not just the pagan nations around Judah, but everybody in the whole world have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified, that means declared righteous by God as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ. In other words, the only way we can receive God's righteousness is as a gift. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. We can't make ourselves good or holy or any of those things. We can't find a way to erase our own sins. There's only one who can do that. And he has done that. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he erased our sins at the cross. And therefore, we receive righteousness of God as a gift credited to us, not by our works, not by our pedigree, not by our prayers, not by our strivings, none of that. One way, faith 
in Christ, faith in the Messiah. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you again this morning for opening our eyes to the to the marvelous richness of what we have here in the Old Testament prophets concerning your son, concerning the, 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 how you promised things to David and you expanded on them as the prophets came and went. And we have all of that now. We have the incredible point of view to see it all laid out for us from Genesis all the way through Revelation. It's marvelous. And you've also given us the Holy Spirit to understand it all. Explain it to us. You are marvelous. You're amazing. Your son is, is, is great in all respects. And we just want to thank you again today for that, Father. We also ask, Father, that you would help us when we, when we come upon the unbeliever to preach the gospel, that, you, that we're all born sinners, that Jesus Christ is the God-man, that he did come and he did die for the sins of the world, yours and mine. And he was buried to show that he actually died physically. And yet you raised him from the dead on the third day for a purpose so that anyone who believes, simply believes in your son, will never perish but have eternal life. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, God in the flesh, died for our sins, was raised from the dead, and whoever simply believes in him has eternal life and is justified forever, forgiven of all our sins and declared righteous by you, God, forever. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you also for not only giving us all these tremendous messages, but also giving us the privilege of being your ambassadors and to tell others. Help us to be alert for, for opportunities to do that. Okay, a couple of just a couple of things as we close this morning. We'll have our Bible study on this Thursday, December 9th. At 6.30, okay, it'll be on Skype just the way you came today. We also, God willing, will gather again live at Camp Consulting, um, hopefully. Um, I'm still waiting on my PCR test to make sure that I'm good to go. I'm confident that I will be, though. I'm so, so God willing, this Thursday, Bible study, 6.30 p.m., also on Skype. We pray at the end every Thursday. Please give us your intentions, your prayer requests. On our website, real simple, just click on button and boom, type it in. Um, one other thing, and, and that is our giving policy. Okay. The, the, the way in which we see giving is from the, the New Testament epistles, primarily 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, which tell us that we are to give freely, that as the Lord has blessed us, so we are to bless others. And, and really, we give for the benefit of others. And if you look at the at the giving that the Lord talked about through the Apostle Paul, it was for others. It was for the those who were feeding the people the word of God and for those who were less fortunate. Like in, in his day, it was the it was the saints in Jerusalem who were who were starving and didn't have. And they were the ones that had brought, you know, the message out. You know, every one of the apostles was Jewish. And so but so we we are given the privilege also. And, and, and to imitate our Father God, because he gives freely the greatest gifts. Jesus Christ is the greatest gift. Since we've received him freely, we had to freely give what the Lord has given us to give. That, so we are never going to pressure anybody. We're not going to have tithing. Tithing is not for the church. We're not going to have, you know, drives where we tell you everyone's going to contribute in a certain amount. None of that. Okay. It is between you and the Lord. 
and it is based on grace. Okay. And uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, um, if you, um, if if the Lord has put it on your heart um, to give through our ministry for whatever things that we do, whether it be the preaching of the word of God and the gospel or the support of missionaries, um, you not do it, you know, uh, mail or website, just like the information I gave. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again, we want to thank you for everything. We want to thank you for Jesus Christ once again. We want to thank you for your word, which is living and active and pierces our heart. We thank you for one another. We thank you, Father, that you have placed us, every one of us, through the baptism of the Spirit, you've placed every one of us into the body of Christ. And we all have our place we all have our function. We all have our spiritual gift. We all have our call to love one another, to be united. We thank you for that great gift as well. And as we leave, Father, this morning, we also thank you for the gift of prayer. We ask, Father, for us to be, by the Spirit's power, prevailing in prayer, steady, persevering in prayer um, for others as well as for ourselves. And we just, uh, again, this morning, want to pray particularly for the saints among us who are having a hard time, whether it be health or finances or anything else. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, you are dismissed. Uh, Enjoy your Sunday. Um, Enjoy it in the understanding of who you are in Christ. Thank you, Pastor. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me straight. Thank you, Pastor, for your prayers. Thanks, Pastor. Yes. Thank you, Pastor. My pleasure. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.